some regulations upon spiritual gifts. In other words, how they ought to be used. Now, I have read uh, three scriptures from 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, the second scripture is a scripture that I want to call your attention to. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now, there is something that I feel that we need to uh, talk about before we get uh, into the real meat of this lesson today. And the real meat of the lesson is taken from Acts the 10th chapter, which we will read to you a little bit later. But in order to slow your mind down a little bit, so that you won't think ahead of me, I'll just uh, wait and read that a little bit later. Some people have a, a unique way, if they're interested in the Bible, of uh, creating their own Bible study before you get to it. I see a lot of people thumbing through the Bible before I get there. They've already figured out what scripture I'm going to read and where I'm going, and and uh, that's good that you... Uh, or that concern, but today I'd like to slow you down and kind of hold you in the dark so that you'll listen to everything that I'm saying. <clears throat> now, the Apostle Paul quite often, and not only Paul, but uh, the prophets of old, along with New Testament leaders, uh, when they gave instructions to people, quite often they would inform those people to remember where they came from. Now that is a very important thing. And the reason why is because if you don't know where you came from, it's hard for you to manifest the proper spirit of thanksgiving to God that you need. And I think that all of us need to, uh, all the time, be aware that, that God is doing something in our life and that He is bringing us to a greater spiritual level than what uh, we have been on before. And we need to remember where we came from. Now, <clears throat> this is so very, very vital. Uh, if we do not do this, and if we're not aware of this, it's easy for us to take things for granted. As if we always were what we are. As if maybe God has always blessed us the way He's blessing us today. Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember what you were involved in? Many of you do. And uh, the things that you were involved in were so unwholesome and so ungodly. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. <clears throat> now, he mentions idolatry and uh, where the, the Gentiles came from. Now, the Gentiles were, uh, I say the Gentiles, the Corinthians being Gentiles, were uh, people that were so much involved in idolatry. Now, here in the states, we're not uh, involved in idolatry as some of the other states are, but idolatry is, is creating physical images and worshiping those separate and apart from God. Uh, that's our normal thinking. However, idolatry is really just substituting God for something else, whether it be, you know, uh, ourself. Some people can be so wrapped up in self and wrapped up in and uh, selfishness and and uh, pride and such that they they uh, they do not worship God and cannot worship God because of this block they can't get themselves out of the way, which is uh, a basis for which uh, idolatry is operated or practiced. Now more and more here uh, in the states we're seeing people go back to to what we would call the old traditional hard-line form of idolatry, where that they're actually worshiping uh, statues and worshiping various forms of uh, physical forms outside of, of the true unseen God. Exodus, the 20th chapter, when the Lord laid down the Ten Commandments, He first speaks to them that there is one God and that He alone deserves our allegiance and our respect, and to Him we adore and worship. And that we should create no image of anything that is in the earth, nor uh, above the earth, nor under the earth. Uh, <clears throat> and worship that. For <clears throat> we should worship Him in spirit. And we should worship Him in truth. 
And so, naturally, you do not see statues in our church where people go and kneel and pray and such. Why? Because this is against the teaching of uh, true worship in the Bible relative to God. So we don't have a, a Mary someplace on the wall. And we don't have a, a St. John and a St. Thomas. And uh, Does that mean we don't respect Mary? And, and No, we do respect Mary. But uh, Mary is just not a member of the Godhead, see, as some people say that she is. And uh, <clears throat> I recently heard uh, over the radio a statement that the Pope had made relative to going to Poland. He said, uh, well, I'm just praying to the Immaculate Holy Mary that she'll have her will. And, and if uh, uh, I am to go, then, then uh, she'll have to work it out. And he said, I just leave it to, to Mary. Well, you do not find uh, any type of vernacular used in the Bible by any man of God relative to Mary. Now, where did they get this? Uh, it's a traditional teaching that they picked up someplace along the line. Uh, while Mary was a, uh, a great woman and she found favor in the eyes of God, Mary had to go to the upper room in Acts the second chapter and receive the power of the Holy Ghost just like uh, the Apostle Peter and all the other apostles. See, she had to do that. She is listed there uh, along with the, the other uh, people as in need of the Holy Ghost. Uh so we want to we want you to understand that that uh, it is so very easy for us to pick up on traditional ideas and such and and over a long period of time those ideas change the entire form of worship of the Bible and so people get out of harmony with God and out of harmony with the Word of God and uh, maybe what they are practicing. Uh, they practice it in sincerity, but sincerity alone will not save a person. Just as much as you can be sincerely right, you can also be sincerely wrong. And uh, we see a lot of that in our world today. Now, as religion begins to uh, move in a particular direction, there are always people that are out on the periphery looking for new exciting adventures and new experiences. Uh recently, I say recently, it's been within the last uh, five or six years we had a young man to come into to our church here. And this young man, uh, I, I quickly detected while we were worshiping that, that, that something was a little different about this man. So when we began to, to pray around the altar, give the invitation, and have people to come and give their heart to the Lord, well, he came. And while our brethren gathered around him to pray, uh, this young boy just... Uh, uh, all of a sudden, he just started tearing at himself, and and uh, he became very just uh, vehement at the altar, wild. Some of the brethren were trying to control him and such, and and uh, after a while, we uh, uh, continued to pray to get victory over that uh, demoniac spirit that he had. Now I know that while I'm talking to to you, especially uh, uh, some of you who are not acquainted with uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, in the Bible, when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, he encountered various individuals who had devils. Or maybe I should say he encountered the, encountered the devil in various individuals. The demoniac of Gadara was uh, an individual who uh, had uh, uh, spent so much time out around the graveyards and and uh, had uh, torn his his flesh, and they chained him, and he broke the chains, and uh, did a little bit of everything. He could not be controlled. And when Jesus went uh, across the Sea of Galilee over to Gadara, and uh, down by the tombs where this man was dwelling, uh, there was just something about the spirits inside of that man that controlled him. And when Jesus came by, the Bible says that Jesus challenged the devil. Now, the Jesus asked uh, uh, what their names were. And, of course, they said, uh, our names are legions because we are many. In other words, uh, he had a lot of demons inside of him. And uh, if, if you notice in the scripture, uh, the devil made a statement there. He said, have thou come to torment us before our time? Now, the devil recognized that there will be a day in which he will, will burn in hell. He recognized that there will be a day in which uh, he will be bound 
and chained and cast into the lake of fire to burn forever and forever and forever. And he just uh, uh, acknowledged that, that Jesus had come by to, to bring about premature uh, judgment upon him. Well, Jesus did cast the devil out of this young man. And I say praise God for that. He did cast devils out of people while he walked upon the face of the earth. And I say praise God for every one that he cast out. But he cast those devils out. And, uh, of course, the first thing that, that the man did, uh, this man would rip his clothes and tear his clothes and, and uh, spend a lot of time uh, naked. Uh, the first thing he did, the Bible says, he clothed himself. He clothed himself. And he sat at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, ready to be taught. And do you know that a real cleansing of the devil will, will bring about a change of values in, in your life? And uh, it, it's, it seems strange that while you're walking in darkness that, that there's certain things you cannot see. Now, last uh, week I was up in Nina, and Brother Dempsey taught a lesson up there on light. And they've been spending some time on the subject light. Each Sunday morning he's been bringing various... Uh, uh, lessons, And he taught as excellent a message from the Bible on light as I have ever heard in my life. Now, I'm not just talking about the subject light, but it was as good a Bible lesson as I've ever heard. It was just fantastic. And he spoke about the light spectrum. And, of course, the light spectrum is visible light. There's seven colors in the light spectrum. But uh, the light band is probably uh, uh, non-ending. It has no end to it. Now, on each side of the light spectrum, there is uh, light that, that is not visible to the human eye, but it's there. Uh, on one side of the light spectrum, you find the color green. On the other side, you find the color red. Well, now, immediately off the light spectrum, on the red side, uh, you find infrared uh, rays. Now, infrared uh, rays are light rays. You cannot see them, but they're there. On the other side, on the cool side of the spectrum, there are ultraviolet rays. Now, you cannot see them, but they're there. Now, <clears throat> I just want to talk just a moment about, uh, about this, not to, in the, in the uh, way in which uh, Brother Dempsey taught it. I'm not trying to teach a lesson on light, but just to, to show you something here that I feel that's very important. Have you ever gone into a room that was completely lit up like this room? And all of a sudden you turn the lights off. Now when you turn the lights off, you couldn't see a thing for a moment. But your eyes adjust. And so as a result, after your eyes adjust, uh, you're able to, to, to make out various uh, objects in the room. And as your eyes adjust, uh, uh, because you've been in the darkness for a while, as they adjust, you're able to pick out objects and see your way around. Whereas when the light first went out, you couldn't. Now the reason why is because that uh, uh, your eyes keep adjusting and keep adjusting and bringing in, the, your eyes will bring in as much light as they possibly can. Now, the reason why that some animals can see in the dark, uh, nocturnal animals that, that sleep all day, they can see in the dark as well as you can see at daytime. That's hard for you to understand. But the reason why they can is because God has so designed their eye and also their brain so that they can bring in light that's not visible to you. So the hawk that's flying over in the air at night or the owl that sits in a tree can actually see the small rodent down below and uh, uh, he can have a good meal off that rodent because... He, you know, he can see at night as well as you can see at day. And the reason why that a lot of the nocturnal animals uh, uh, burrow up or den up at night is because that, that uh, the visible light that we see is a little bit too strong for their eyes. In other words, it hurts their eyes. So they, uh, God has just made them so that uh, they can see light that's not visible to you. And... Uh, this is also true in our Christian walk with the Lord. Do you know that God has, has placed within the Christian the ability to see light and to focus in on things that the people of the world cannot see and cannot focus in on? And that's a very, very important thing. Because you can talk to somebody about, about uh, Jesus' name baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost and such, and, and uh, they just cannot understand it. Now, the Bible says a carnal mind is at enmity with God. 
And the Bible also tells us that the carnal mind cannot know the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. There are certain things that you cannot and will not ever know until you create a relationship with God. Now, this young man who came to our altar, who was filled with these demon spirits, uh, as we began to pray, uh, we began to feel some liberty, and we canceled spirits out of that young man. Now, before the spirits came out of this young man, the first thing he did, he opened up his coat, and he pulled out uh, uh, a bag of marijuana and, and a pipe and some, uh, I don't know what all he had there, just a whole lot of things, and and so he put them on the altar. Well, as he began to pray, he felt that he should remove those things further from him. Now, nobody told him this was wrong. Isn't it amazing that when the light begins to come into you and you begin to focus in on God, how teachable, see, you get, how teachable you get. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> this young man, he took uh, and looked at that uh, uh, bag of marijuana and all that uh, apparatus there on the altar and he said uh, uh, I want to take care of this Some somebody go throw it in, in the trash and and so I don't know who picked it up but then he took it out of their hand and he said no I want to throw it myself and he went out the back door and threw it in the dumpster came back in and, and of course uh, knelt down and began to pray further well that night we cast the demons out of this young boy and baptized him in Jesus name and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He just happened to be a young man traveling through here. I don't remember now exactly where he was going. But I do remember giving him the address uh, addresses of several of our churches. Now, as I began to talk to this young man, I asked him, I said, uh, Now tell me, how did you uh, get involved in, in, uh, with the devil to the point that you got these evil spirits? He said, Well... He said, uh, uh, it may surprise you, but uh, he said, right here in the States, he said, uh, I visited a satanic church. Now, he indicated that this church was not in Wisconsin, but out in California. Uh, it's, it's been a while, and, and of course, we deal with a good number of, of individuals here, and I can't remember all the details, but I do remember this much about it. And I know that uh, I'm right here, so there's no vagueness in, in my mind. But he said, I sat on a, uh, a church pew in a satanic church. And he said, uh, uh, when I went in, the lights were all bright. And then after we gathered, uh, they questioned us and talked with us. They turned the lights off. He said, now, of course, I had, been I had been in some particular meetings in which they had been discipling me prior to this, individually in my home and such. So you don't just walk in there and sit down and see what I saw that night. But he said they turned all the lights off and then they turned some red lights on so that everything in the building appeared to be black or red. And uh, a priest came out and began to minister to us. And, and uh, at any rate, uh, he said the service began to move on and, and uh, people began to pull their clothes off. And uh, he said it, it really frightened me. It shocked me because he said uh, uh, even though I had been told and one of these discipleship type classes that that such would uh, would occur he said it was just a frightening thing and uh, he said uh, something inside of me said uh, you need to get out of here but he said i didn't didn't go i stayed and uh, something else said you need to get out of here he said i i didn't go i stayed and after a while he said they brought a communion tray out now, whether this man is actually telling me the truth or not, I cannot vouch for that. But I can tell you that he told me this. Okay, so don't go away saying it really happened in the States. I don't really know. I have heard other accounts of such happening. But uh, it's hard for me to believe with the law enforcement uh, that we have in our country that, that something this wicked and this vile could actually happen. But after all the people had disrobed themselves, they disrobed the child, brought the child, placed it on their altar. The priest washed the child, took a knife, cut his throat, drained the blood into a basin, poured it in communion glasses, and they all took communion. Now, I am not saying all of this to give the devil glory. God only knows that we need to accentuate his great name and praise his great name. And we, need, we don't need to tell a whole lot about the devil. But the reason why that I'm, I'm telling you that today is because that, that there are a lot of people in our world that's come out of some very, very difficult and bad backgrounds that stop 
remembering where they came from. While I don't think that you should sit around and glorify the devil, and you should not magnify God, I think it is essential that you never forget where you came from. In the book of Isaiah, the 51st chapter, verse 1, Isaiah the prophet reminds all of Israel that they need to remember the pit from which they were digged. Oh, listen, God's been good to us. He's brought us a long, 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 long ways. And you see, what we're doing here in America, we're actually forgetting the pit that we came out of. Our nation, our nation, our people, our heritage, we broke away from a European society that was so involved in witchcraft and so involved in... in, uh, 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 particular deeds and such that regulated the Christian experience in people's lives. And and they sailed to this country. They sailed to this country to establish a country that was that was free uh, of idolatry and witchcraft and such. Uh, if you go back and read in the early uh, historical pages of, of America, you will find that, that witches in our land... We're not prohibited here. In fact, uh, if you go back to the history of some of the New England states, they went so far as to burn some of the witches at stakes. They, they actually did this. Well, I do not agree that that, that type of punishment is, is, uh, is uh, humane at all. And, and I do not believe that, uh, that uh, this was a proper way of taking care of it. You see, the reason why that they did it, because the founders of our country realized where they came from. Now, the problem with us today is that we don't really remember where we came from. We, for, we have forgotten where we have come from. And, and we don't realize that, that God has brought us a long, long ways. Now, this is also having its, taking its toll in our individual Christian experiences. There are a lot of us that, that after a while we just, we, we just get so satisfied with the blessings of God that, that we forget where we came from. We absolutely forget where we came from. You see, all of us before we were filled with Christ's Spirit, all of us before we were baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were sinners lost and undone without God. We were not able to save ourselves any more than a young child could pick himself up by his bootstraps. You can't do it. I could not get to heaven on the merits of my own strength and my own goodness. Why, well, I could barely jump over a pew. And, and heaven's a long ways from here. How am I going to get up there without the electrifying, magnetic power of God to lift me up out of this world? I can't do it. But you see, sometimes we get the idea that we can make it on our own. We don't really need God. Why? Because we forget where we came from. We absolutely forget where we came from. Now, I could go on and on and on and talk about this for a long, long time today. But uh, I think it's very, very essential in laying a foundation for, for uh, uh, improvement in the kingdom of God is to be thankful for what you have right now. Now, not be altogether satisfied. When I say altogether satisfied, I believe that you can be content and still there be a quest in your heart for a deeper experience with God. I'm content. Paul says, in whatever state you're in, be thou content. And uh, I feel that we need to be content with with what we have. In other words, there's no real quest in our heart for materialistic things. If God's given you a good home, thank Him for it. And, and even though occasionally you might want to do something in your house or fix it up or, 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 uh, or, uh, or, or move ahead when God's blessings fall upon you, uh, you should recognize that, that this is all temporal. It's going to burn up, friend. It's going to burn up. The church is going to leave this world one of these days. And when the church goes into the tribulation period or when the world goes into the tribulation period, there's going to be some devastating times that take place right here on the face of this earth, right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Sometimes when we think of the earth, we think of Asia, we think of Africa, we think of Europe, we think of Israel, we think of South America. But friend, the fire is going to fall right here in Madison, Wisconsin. And when the trumpet of the Lord blows and the church is raptured home, friend, it's going to start immediately after that right here. And one of the first conditions to take place upon the face of the earth 
that will be a shortage of food and such and, 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 and a war. And the Bible tells us in Revelation, the sixth chapter, that uh, there will be a great war and great famine that takes place upon the face of the earth that's going to kill one-fourth of all the people on the face of the earth. And we're not talking about people in red China. We're not talking about people in Russia. We're not talking about uh, Asians at all. We're not talking about Europeans. We're talking about right here in America, right here in Madison, Wisconsin. There's a strong possibility that the grass and the trees in your front yard is going to burn. See, we always think about some other place. There, there, there's something in man that's just egotistical enough. You know, if you were to be in a great hotel fire, everybody would burn up but you. See, that's in your mind. And you could be in a, a great uh, jet crash and everybody get killed but you. See, that's the way we all think. But my Bible tells me that God is no respecter of persons. While he does love you, he loves you no more than he loves the person next to you. See, that's the way God is. Now, Israel, when they passed through the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and finally passed across Jordan, Joshua told him, said, I want you to stop and pick up 12 stones out of the river of Jordan. And he said, I want you to bring those stones, each one representing a tribe of Israel, and I want you to pile those stones on the other side of Jordan. Now, why did Joshua want them to do that? He wanted them to do that simply because he wanted them to have a reminder of that river opening up. Where did they get those stones? You see that deep part of that river out there? We went to the deep part. When the waters were high, the river was swelling. We crossed right here. We didn't go upstream where there was a big log. We didn't go upstream where things were dammed up. We crossed right here. And you see those 12 stones? They came out of the bottom of the river. You see, that was to remind them. Well, why are the stones? Because God does not want you to forget where you came from. We crossed on dry land. We were in the wilderness 40 years. God rained down manna from heaven and fed us. He caused the bitter waters to become sweet. He brought us across the Red Sea. He took us out of bondage in Israel. We were whipped and beaten. But God so loved us that he brought us where we are. But you see, after a while, there arose a generation after Joshua that didn't know the Lord. And another generation didn't know the Lord. And another generation didn't know the Lord. So little children were asking their fathers, Paul, why are these stones out here? He says, well, I'm not really for sure. It had something to do with deliverance. But you see, they forgot. And when they forgot, friend, they got in a very difficult mess. They got so confused. They were carried away into captivity several times. Why? Because they forgot where they came from. And you know one of the signs of the last days that people will become unthankful? Did you know that most of us are not thankful for what we have? We, we really aren't. We're not thankful for what God has done for us. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts the 10th chapter. <clears throat> and I think this will, will let us look a little bit closer into a Bible doctrine that, that proves to be so very valuable in your interpretation of Bible Scripture. Acts the 10th chapter. is dealing with a man by the name of Peter who was the apostle that had the keys of the kingdom in his hand. And he's down at Joppa. In fact, he's up on a housetop and he's praying. And uh, then there was a man who was a Gentile. The Gentiles, as I said, they were very notorious for idolatry and worship of false gods and such. Now, up until this time, the Gentiles had not received the Holy Ghost. The only Gentiles that were Gentiles by birth, and let me explain something here. The Bible 
classifies people into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were just people outside of the Jewish race. Now, Gentiles, according to the Jews, were dogs. That's the way they looked at them. Just dogs. The Jews, as much as they found favor in the eyes of God, they did develop some arrogancy about them that was very difficult for God to deal with. See, even though God blessed them, they became, what should we say, the apple of God's eye because of their father Abraham and because of their their uh, their belief in the one true God. Uh, uh, they got a little bit puffed up about it. And, and after a while, they became very arrogant. Later, they became bigoted. I mean, they just had a good case of pride. Now, they considered the Gentiles as dogs. They don't mean a thing. You know, dogs. Now, in our present society, maybe the word dog's not a real bad word. You know, because uh, only here in America can we spend so much on pet food and, and uh, pets and such. You know, other parts of the country, it's, uh, world, it, it's not really that way. But, see, we can spend three, or $400 for a poodle and take it down and get, uh, uh, you know, $100, $200 worth of uh, shots and such and take it in every uh, a month or so and get it clipped and, you know, it, uh, we, you know our, our dog becomes a part of our family. Now, I'm not saying all of that to be critical. That's just the way it is. Oh, and by the way, I had the prettiest poodle you've ever seen, you know. <laughs> Well, we won't go into that. But, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I, I have been guilty of this. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be critical, but you see. But still, on the other hand, we do kind of have this idea of what a dog is. In other words, if you're, really, if you're a man of the world and you really got mad at somebody, you might call him a dirty, rotten dog. You dirty dog. See? So, you can understand how the Jews felt. Now, they felt this way about the Gentiles because of the fact that they did not adhere to the doctrine of the one true God. They were, they were involved in all kinds of practices of devil worship and witchcraft and idolatry. And uh, you can go back and search in history, and friend, as far back as the Babylonian kingdom and as far back as the Tower of Babel, you can find the Gentiles involved in all kinds of uh, terrible, terrible practices of, of uh, demonology and witchcraft and such. Well, the Jews said, hands off. We don't want to have anything to do with those those." Those Gentiles. Now, after the Lord poured out the day of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, uh, there were there were some Gentiles there who I feel were filled with the Holy Ghost along with the three thousand, but they were proselyted into the Jewish faith prior to the day of Pentecost, and they were considered Jews. Now they were Jews because they were proselyted into the faith. Now there was a great revival that took place in Samaria. In Acts, the 8th chapter, in which the whole city turned out, the whole city of Samaria, to hear Philip preach the word of God. And many, many people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, the Samaritans were half-breed, so to speak. They were crossed between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar took the uh, city of Jerusalem and the southern half of the kingdom and took it, all of those people into Babylonian captivity... They were left behind, a, a remnant of people. And the people who were left behind married the Canaanites of the, of the land. And so as a result, the Samaritan race was formed. And the Samaritans were not liked by true Gentiles nor true Jews. There was hatred on both sides. And so as a result, God first poured out the Holy Ghost to these people. Now, up until this time, in Acts the 10th chapter, no true Gentile had been filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost had not been poured out upon a man who was not a, a, a Jewish proselyte. So here's a man who's praying. Now this man evidently 
he came in contact somehow, not with just the, the Jewish teachings of Jehovah in the past, but uh, somehow he came in, in contact with, with some of these New Testament believers, and he began to pray, and he began to seek God, and he began to pour out his heart to God, and he prayed every day. I mean, he sought God every day. And the Bible says that he became a devout man. Now, a devout man simply means he was devoted to the cause of God. He prayed to God and sought God diligently. He fasted. He gave much alms. He would be considered as, as, an, as an ideal type of man as far as a man who is really trying to pray and make an entrance into the kingdom of God. But there was one problem that this man had. And the problem he had was that up until now, no Gentile had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, true Gentile, and there was nobody there to tell him what he needed to do to be saved. So his problem was he was just not a saved person. Can you be saved by just prayer alone? Can you be saved by being devout? Can you be saved by just being sincere? Now, I believe that all those are attributes. I believe that they're all requisites for salvation. You certainly won't be saved if you don't pray. You won't be saved if you don't seek God. You won't be saved if you don't become devout. But on the other hand, there is a possibility that you can receive part of the light, enough light, and walk in that light. And yet, on the other hand, uh, 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 not go all the way. And he could not go all the way because he had never heard what he needed to do. In Romans, the ninth chapter, the Apostle Paul explains this. He said, Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, that, that, you know, in order to be saved, you need to believe and call upon His name. But now, how can you do that? How can you call without knowledge? And here was this Gentile man. He was seeking God. Well, here goes Peter down to, to Joppa, and he's up on the housetop, and, and he's praying. Now, in the ninth verse of Acts 10, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city... Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein all were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now, you see, he was a Jew and according to the old testament law there were certain animals that were unclean now they were unclean in the old testament because god did not choose them for the purpose of service and worship and so the animals that god had not ordained to be used in worship in sacrifices and service then they did not eat those they considered them to be unclean. Why? Because, you see, God had not ordained them. God had not put his approval upon them. God had not taken his finger, so to speak, and marked them. So they were considered to be unclean. Now, Peter saw all of these animals in this great big sheet. Must have been a mighty big sheet. Because there were a whole lot of animals that they, they didn't eat. Now, <clears throat> notice what the Lord says in verse 13. And there came a voice unto him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, take these and eat them now. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common? This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, Peter doubted what all this meant. But the Lord is instructing him, 
take these four-footed beasts and kill them and eat them. Now you see, Peter was not, even though Peter understood that the dispensation change had taken place at the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of the Lord was poured out, there were certain Old Testament teachings and such that was that were still ingrained in him. And so he was very careful as to what he would eat and what he wouldn't eat. And little did he know that, that uh, after God had uh, changed the dispensation and the Holy Ghost was poured out, then uh, Peter knew there would no longer be burnt offerings and sacrifices and such. What God did, then he took all the animals and he purified them and cleansed them so that people could eat them. Well, Peter wasn't aware of this, and the Lord is instructing him to do it. Well, he understood that God was telling him, to, now you can take and kill them and you can eat them. But, but still he felt that, that this had some other significance, that, that the story wasn't just complete as, as God had given it to him. That, that, so his mind was in this, in this quandary, so to speak, and he was wondering what it all meant. And about that time, there was a rap that came on the door, and the Bible tells us that there were men standing there, and they inquired, is there a man here by the name of Peter? Now, the reason why that these men had come is because that the angel of the Lord had visited Cornelius at the same time, and had told him, said, now there's a man down at Joppa whose name is Peter. Now he's going to come up here and tell you what you need to do to be saved. And so Cornelius sent messengers down there. And so uh, at this time then, uh, the messengers said, you need to go up to, to our master's house, Cornelius. And you need to go up there and tell him what he needs to do to be saved. And so he goes up there. Now, one thing that I want to stress here that I feel that is so very, very important. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to be holy as God is holy. Now, how can a man who was born in sin, how can a man with the background that we all have, how can a man be holy? And we are to go to a holy place, and my Bible tells me that in the new city of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, that no unclean thing will ever enter into it. Nobody who is a sinner, who is vile inside, will ever walk on streets of gold. And yet, the Bible gives us the commandment that we are to be holy like God is holy. Now, how can we go there? How can we get there? If one of the prerequisites for going is to become holy like God is. Now that's hard to understand. And so when you read the scripture, you will find that holiness becomes the highest attribute of God. Holiness is the number one attribute of God. It's spoken of in the scripture more than any other attribute of God. How can you become holy? Because you see, man basically is full of all of these works of the flesh. You take a look at man. And you take a look at what, what he's able to produce and some of the things that he's able to, to conjure up in his mind and, and think of. Read your papers and see how vile this human race is. Look at all the rapes and all the killings and, 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 and all the abuse. Look at the wars that are taking place. Now, how in the world is man to become holy? How is he to do this? Well, you see, he can't do it himself. And you see, right here, the Apostle Paul was receiving instruction from God concerning the true philosophy relative to holiness. That holiness is created in a person's heart by a divine order of God. If God doesn't do the cleaning, the cleaning won't get done. You see, that's what he's saying. And so God's going to come down then, and what God's going to do, he's going to take and make us great vessels of honor in his kingdom. You remember Belshazzar, the king of Babylon? He took from Solomon's temple golden vessels. And while he was having a great big feast, 
he happened to think of some of the vessels in the trophy case that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had brought over and he said, go get the vessels. So they went and got the vessels. Bring them in here and we're going to desecrate them by drinking wine. So he filled them up and he stood there and he began to make mockery to the one true God of Israel and drink out of those golden vessels. Now, while he was doing it, on the back wall on the plaster, a man's hand appeared. Just his hand and his finger. And began to write. And he wrote in Chaldean. And the writing was like this. Many, many, tekel euphorison. Well, you see, Belshazzar realized that, that, that this was not the hand of an ordinary man. Because he didn't see a bodily form. And, and, and while he was drinking, he began to shake. The Bible says his loins got weak and, and his knees began to buckle. And he put the vessel down. Now, you see what happened was that Daniel came and interpreted the Chaldean writing. And, and the interpretation was Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar. You are weighed in the balance and found wanting. In other words, your heart's unclean, friend. You see, tonight is the night that God's going to require your soul of you. And you're unclean. And you will not be saved. Now, let me point out something about the vessel. Now, the reason why that all this came about, because this vessel that was taken out of the temple was a vessel that God had ordained. If you will go back and read, I believe it's in... In, in First Chronicles, the 28th chapter, you will find how that, that Solomon was instructed uh, how to make all of those vessels and everything. In other words, those were not just ordinary vessels. Those were different vessels. Why were they different? Because they had been constructed according to a pattern that God... And when the temple was dedicated, the Spirit of the Lord came down in that place and filled it up so that, so that the priest could not even minister. While they began to sing songs to the Lord. So you see, those were not common vessels. And, and that's, what, what, that's what, uh, what Peter was saying. Now, God was saying, I won't let you take one of these vessels that have been ordained of the Lord and desecrate it. I won't let you do it. Why? Because you see, once God has cleaned it up and put his approval upon it, God claims it for his very own. Now, if you take and desecrate that, if you take and pollute it, you know what's going to happen? God's going to send his judgment upon you. Why? It's not a common vessel. Now, if you were to go to England or some other European countries, where they place a lot of importance on royal families, you will find that people who do not have royal blood in their veins, the rank and file of the country, they are known as commons. And you see, this particular connotation has been carried into so many different societies. Why are they common? Because they're not royal. In other words, they're just general peasants of the country. Just commons, ordinary people. And what God is saying, now look, when I touch something and when I clean it up, it's not just an ordinary thing. It's different. And you should never look at it as just being an ordinary thing. Now, that goes back to what I was saying. How can we get to heaven when we're so vile and so wicked? Because one day in our past, the Lord looked down upon us just like he was looking upon Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who was a dog, who was a nobody, who was a common, who was an unclean man. And he looked down upon us and said, Now, here's a man, however, that I think I can use. I think I can use him in my service. And he reaches down and he puts his hand upon us. With his blood he washes us clean. With his spirit he remakes us. 
Praise God. And you see, once you have been remade by the Spirit and by the power of the Lord, and once your heart's been purified by the blood, and God's put His own name on it, friend, you are consecrated to the use of His service from that day on. And if you want to find a miserable person, you find a backslider, and you'll find a miserable person. God will not allow a backslider to be happy with the world, and yet he's not happy with God either. You see, the Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 19 and 20. He said, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy! For God loveth a holy temple, which temple ye are. God was saying to the Corinthians, he said, Now look, you know, you were Gentiles, carried away but with these dumb idols. Inside of you was vileness. You were unclean. You were wicked. You could never be complimentary to the kingdom of God. But I reached down and with my own spirit, I remade you. With my blood, I cleansed you inside and put my name on you. And now you are a vessel that's been consecrated to the use of my service in my kingdom. Now he says, now you Corinthians, if you think that one time you can take your bodies and go back to the things that you once served and the things that you once lusted after and the things that you once uh, desecrated or polluted yourself with, he said, you're badly mistaken. Why? Because just as I allowed judgment to fall upon Nebuchadnezzar by taking one of the uncommon vessels, one of the holy vessels, one of those that I had personally designed and made, and fill it full of wine and desecrate it uh, in a party, he said, no, I won't let that, and I won't let you Gentiles do it either. I have made you what you are. You see... Holiness means uncommon. It means pure. It means clean. Isn't it strange that God can look into the past life of a young man like this young man who was involved in so many things, who was filled with demons, and God can come down and look upon him and say, Now, boy, he's so vile and so wicked. You know, like Peter, all Peter could do is see himself eating some of those animals. Have you ever eaten something you didn't like? Oh. Have you ever eaten in a home that's unclean? Been a few places I've visited, and I, I like to be nice, but I didn't want to eat there. You know, just didn't want to eat there. Oh, boy! I, I remember my son Roy. He hated liver so bad. And he was such a scrawny little guy when he was growing up. We wanted to just make him eat liver and things that had protein and iron. And he'd put it in his mouth, and the poor little guy would chew and he'd chew and he'd chew. He'd get bigger and bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden he'd gag. And, Can't you see Peter up there seeing all of these dirty old filthy animals? You know, here they all are. Kill them and eat them. You know, I've never understood, you know, uh, some of the restaurants. You notice the chain restaurants and such down in Texas, I think it is. A, is it Grandma's Chicken where they had this great big old chicken up there? You know, and they sell this delicious fried chicken as good as you've ever seen. But, you know, to see a feathered out old rooster up on a post doesn't make me, uh, doesn't build up an appetite for chicken. Now, once it's been killed and dressed and, and, uh, and breaded and such and, and, and fried and it's got that that golden look and everything. Now that's appetizing. But to see a rooster with feathers and everything else, you know, I, I, I don't get an, an appetite for chicken. You know, and it's like some of these places called Big Steer Restaurant and they show this great big old hairy old bull out there, you know. <laughs> now, <clears throat> you know, go ahead, and, go ahead and take the hide off of it and the horns off of it and... And cut it up and take the bone out of it and fry it or, or grill it or whatever. And then then try to build up my appetite. Because I don't get, I don't get an appetite by seeing a great big old black Angus bull on a, you know. And you see, you see that's the way Peter was. He saw that. And the Lord says, kill him and eat him. Oh, he could see chewing that. Oh, dear me. You mean to tell me I'm supposed to eat that? 
But did you know what? I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the greatest influence upon the world is to see a vessel, a wicked vessel, a vile vessel. I'm talking about people. An alcoholic. A prostitute. A junkie. Come in the house of God. Sit on a pew. See somebody. Talk to him about the Lord. See him come down to the front. See him give his heart to the Lord. See those cloudy eyes become clear. See that frown become a smile. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> See those tattered clothes come off and a mark of the glory of God's blessings upon him. Praise God. And then after a while, that individual will go out searching for somebody that he used to drink with. And when you see him, they say, what are you doing now, man? You look different. <laughs> well, I'm going to church now. Most people say, church? I mean, what difference does that make? <laughs> Isn't that what they usually say? <laughs> That's what they usually say. <clears throat> That's what they usually say. And so, as a result, you begin to give your experience. Well, you can't believe what God's done. It's unbelievable. You know what? That has an effect on people. Praise God. This is what God can make of you. This is what He can do. He can bring you joy, friend, that surpasses all joy. You know, I never want to forget where I came from. I never want to forget. I was so miserable. I was so lost. I was so vile. Somebody do you dirty on the job, you spend half the night plotting up some way which, which you can get even tomorrow. Now, isn't that terrible? What a way to spend an evening. Somebody in your office or where you work gets up for a raise and you are too and you know they're only give, only give one. And you spend all your evening trying to conjure up something in your mind in which you can get the raise and he can't. Isn't that a way to spend an evening? You think of it. Isn't it nice to be able to go home and relax and not have to worry about promotions and such? That God picks up one man and puts down another. If God doesn't do it, I don't want it. Praise God and feel clean inside and pure. No malice, no envy, no hatred. Praise God. How do we get this way, friend? You didn't get this way because of yourself. See, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. God could take a raging man like Paul who was filled with hatred and was going over to Damascus to put all the Christians to death that he could or bring them bound back to Jerusalem as the letter so stated and brought on his road right on the road to Damascus, that God could knock him right flat of his back, cause blindness to come upon him. God saw something in Paul. God says, now there's one I want to clean up. There's one I'm going to use. And listen, when the Apostle Paul was ordained of God, God took and washed all of his sin away and cleaned him up. Praise God. he became become a vessel of honor now. What kind of a man are you, Paul? He said, you know, he said, I have really nothing to glory of. He remembered his past, see. You know what he thought of his relationship with God? Well, you see, Paul was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. But at the same time, he was raised in the city of Tarshish, outside of the country. And so he was a Roman by citizenship. He also was privileged to sit at the feet of Gamal, the great lawyer of his day, become a private student of his, was tutored by him. Raised in the third university city of the world, Tarsus, a Roman citizen, 
yet a Jew. And having the kind of education he did, he said, you know, I count it all as dumb. I meant nothing. Just to know the Lord. Praise God. God. Why, Paul? Because you see, I used to toss and tumble in my bed wondering how I can get even with somebody. I used to be filled with bitterness. There was hatred raging in my body. But you see, I don't know why, but he reached down and he says, I'm going to cleanse him. And when I do it, he's not going to be common anymore. My last passage of scripture to read today is taken from 1 Peter, the second chapter. Praise God. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's, what's, what is Peter saying? He's saying, you're not commons. you got royal blood in you. Now notice what verse 10 says. Which in time past were not a people. I mean a nobody. Dogs. Commons. But are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. Praise God. Aren't you glad what the Lord's done? Let's lift our hands and praise Him. Oh, glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And we'd like for you to stand at this time as Sister Grant and Sister Rutherford come. Let's continue to worship the Lord right now. I did not want to interfere with your worship, but I did want you to stand. Let's continue to praise the Lord and to thank Him for all that He's done. He has been just such a great Lord, such a great Master. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And you know, friend, there's no telling what God can do if you just trust Him and believe Him. There is no telling what God could make of your life if you would surrender to Him. I feel that I'm talking to somebody here today who needs to give their heart to the Lord. If you're not what God wants you to be and you know that, if you've never made peace in your heart with God, we have people right here in this sanctuary who'd be glad to pray with you. All you need to do is step out and come right down to the front on either side of the pulpit. There's a place to kneel and pray. Just come up here and kneel and pray. Somebody will kneel with you and pray with you and talk with you and instruct you as to what you need to do. Praise God. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And God wants to take all of your past and just rip the pages out. He wants to start a new book for you. 
He really does. Why don't you come on now? There's one that's come already. Some of you sisters come and pray with Donna Beecher. Would you do that? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody else want to come and pray? Hallelujah. Come on. Would you come right now? Step out and come and give your heart to God. There is no telling what God can do if you believe.